There's been a, a lot in the news recently, hasn't there, about the Oscars. I, um, we're not very good. Lindsay and I actually, neither of us are very good. We've got no idea which actors or actresses do what, where, when and why. We're completely useless when it comes to any quiz on that basis. Um, I couldn't even tell you all the names of the James Bonds, but I like the films, but I can never remember who the actors are uh, who play it. But uh, there's lots of, uh, there's always the good and the great, isn't there? And there's always the, the red carpet and the cameras are out and everybody takes their pictures as they come down and people are interested in what they wear and there are comments that they give and all that sort of thing. And then there was the the sports personality of the year, wasn't there? Everybody was very hyped up about that. Who is this person going to be who's you know, going to be the one who, who um, uh, has uh, uh, presented or represented us uh, in such a great way? And, and lots of us, uh, especially the cyclists around us, were thrilled that uh, Bradley Wiggins won that um, uh, uh, award. Imagine, though, imagine uh, if... Uh, that happened in the Christian world. The Oscars for the greatest Christian of the year. You get all the bishops and the archbishops lining up and, you know, all of that. And all, all the thing. Imagine, imagine that happening. It wouldn't ever happen, but imagine it happening. So I just should say at this point, really pleased to say that um, the new Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, is signed up to come to New Wine LSE our week. So you'll get to hear uh, the new Archbishop who come to New Wine. He's a lovely, lovely man. And uh, before he got so high up in the echelons of the Church of England, he's a good friend. So it's quite nice to have someone uh, who we know is uh, in that role. So you'll get to see him if you come to New Wine this year. But imagine the Oscars, the award for the greatest Christian of the year. And as the envelope was opened and the name read out, there would be looks of bewilderment on everybody who was there. Because I'm pretty sure whoever's name was in there wouldn't ever think of attending such a thing and um, uh, probably would be unknown by everybody else. Why do I bring that? Well, that's a little bit about what today's passage is about. The disciples are walking along. Jesus has, um, has uh, just been teaching them. That you remember the context of where we are. They've been up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They've come down again. They've done some stuff, and they're now uh, on their way to Capernaum. And uh, uh, when they arrived at Capernaum, they settled in a house, and Jesus turns to them and he says, what, what were you arguing about on the way? And the disciples said, they didn't want to say what they were arguing about, because this is what they were arguing about. Which one of us is the greatest? That's what they were arguing about. Which one of us is going to be used to um, uh, the greatest effect in the kingdom of God? Which one of us is going to be um, a given profile in uh, this new uh, government that Jesus is going to bring in. Which one of us is the greatest disciple? You see, the disciples had thought that Jesus was going to be a political Messiah, uh, that he was going to undo the reign of the Roman Empire in Palestine. He was going to free uh, the Jewish people of the rule of another 
country into their community and restore again their own kingship. And they were looking for and hoping for this Messiah to come. Jesus' ministry has been building. Um, they, they, they've been working towards something. They've, they've sensed a change in the atmosphere, in the, in the approach that Jesus has to what he's doing. Something is afoot. And, and, and they're walking toward Jerusalem. So, so something's going to happen here. And they're going, so when we get there, I suspect they're saying, when we get there, and he's made king, because there's quite a movement of people behind this now, we're going to be the cabinet. And they're probably arguing about who's actually going to be uh, the chancellor of the exchequer. Who's going to be the foreign minister? Who's going to be the minister for education? Who's going to be, what positions are we going to have in this new rule and reign that Jesus is going to uh, bring in? The disciples, you see, they didn't really get it. And it's understandable, isn't it? Because we read the gospel story, we read the Bible post death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ and the gift of the Spirit. So we read it through a lens where we understand what's gone on. We understand what it's all about. The disciples, they didn't understand it at all. And uh, 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 they didn't understand that the, the death and the resurrection of Christ were a really important part of uh, the journey. And we can we can understand they're not being able to comprehend that. What did Jesus start our passage with today? This is what he started with. Leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anybody to know that they were there. For he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and to teach them. He's desperate to get them away. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemy. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. The disciples didn't understand what he was saying, however, and were afraid to ask him what he meant. Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem. His, uh, he knows this is his ultimate destination. He knows this is his calling. He knows this is why he's come. And so the, the change of atmosphere, the, 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 the gear change in his ministry, the, the determination to get to a place at a certain time and, and achieve a certain event is, is something that has come on to Jesus and he's determined to do this. This is what he's working towards. And uh, uh, they've walked with him and talked with him for two and a half years. And, and, and as they've done that, they've understood some of his ministry, but they've, they've yet to understand this fully. And so Jesus gets them away. He says, I want you to come away with me. That's what he's saying at the beginning. Of our I want you to come away with me, and I want to teach you. I, I, I want to share with you what this gear change is about, what this ultimately means. They, they've seen his trifold ministry. We're at, at a, a crucial point in the story of his life. His, his ministry is uh, uh, exhibited in, in three main ways. In chapters 1 
through to chapter 8, verse 31, where it all changes gear in Mark's gospel. It's like, it's like a fulcrum. You get, you get chapters 1 to 8, verse 31 on this side, and then at 8, 31, the whole thing changes, and we get this new focus of Jesus' ministry. And this is what it's been about. Jesus' ministry so far has been about proclamation, demonstration, explanation. Proclamation, telling people the good news. This is the good news. This is what it means. This, this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is, this is uh, the, 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 the gospel message that we want out there. And then demonstration. He's, he's not just taught about that, but he's, he's demonstrated. He's taken uh, a child amongst them and said, this is what it means. He's, he's included the excluded. He's, he's reached out to the lost. He's healed the broken. He's, he's raised the dead. He's, he's done things that says there's a new kingdom and it's a different kingdom. And it's not the sort of kingdom you imagine it to be. And then he's done explanation. And we get the Sermon on the Mount, we get the stories of this is, this is what it means to be a follower of Christ. This is how your life is shaped. This is what it looks like. And, it, and he teaches them a rhythm of prayer. And uh, uh, he, he, he talks about uh, the need for uh, drawing near to him. He talks about the different things in uh, his ministry. And, and just before this passage, as, uh, 8 verse 31, where he first predicts his death, Jesus goes from there immediately up a mountain to pray. Whenever he goes up a mountain to pray, you know something significant is about to happen. That's what he does. He goes up a mountain to pray. And in, uh, when he's up the mountain, it says a cloud enveloped him. And in the cloud, the Father speaks to him and, and commissions him again. We know at the beginning of his ministry, uh, John the Baptist is baptizing. Jesus goes down in the water. A dove descends and there is the voice of the Father upon him. This is my son whom I love. Uh, uh, in him I am well pleased. And he's commissioned to go and do what he is called to do. So we get this ministry uh, 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 launched. And then in 8.31 here, he, he, he explains again, now we're changing gear. We're going up towards Jerusalem. And he retreats to pray. And the words of the Father again come down upon him. And uh, uh, they hear the words of the Father uh, speak to them uh, about his, again, um, uh, being uh, the Son of God and, and commissioned by his heavenly Father to do the things that he's called to do. And so he comes down the mountain and there's the disciples trying to do some healing. You were looking at that last week and, and there was, uh, they, he realizes the fragility uh, of the, the holders of the gospel message that he's passing it on to. And it's in that context he says, come away with me. Come away with me because I want to teach you. Come away with me so I can show you. Come away with me so I can explain to you what this kingdom is all about. And so they come away with him. And he says, I, I, I've told you this before, but let me just tell you again. We all need that, don't we? We need telling more than once. Do you need that? Someone says something, you know, I, I need to tell you again. You know, I need to tell you again. Um, I, I just, it, wouldn't it be good if you did this? My, um, dear, I'm, I'm sure that I'm not the only um, uh, uh, husband in a home who's told many things, some, some things many times before they get done, you know. Uh, I wonder if you could just do that. I, wa I wonder if you've remembered that you might just do that, you know. D did you remember that you might, you, th you said you'd do that. And after a while you think, I just better do it, because it's quicker, actually, than being reminded all the time. And if I'm constantly reminded, I'm ter terribly irritated, so I better just do it. 
And, and sometimes we all need, we need telling again, don't we? Just again and again and again. And the disciples likewise. Because they'd have thought, Jesus, are you serious? I mean, you, you've come to be this Messiah, this one we've looked, hoped for, this, this longed-for answer to our prayers, and you're now telling us that you're going to go and die? For goodness sake, you've got that wrong. That's, that's probably what they're thinking. You've really missed the message there. We can't have you die. You're going to be our leader. And so they're thinking he's got it completely wrong. He's lost the plot somewhere. So he takes them to this place to teach them. And um, uh, from that place, there's a, a change of gear and a change of understanding. And, and, and as he asked them, he asked them, what were you te- talking to one another about? They didn't want to tell him. They didn't want to say, well, we're just arguing about who's going to be the chancellor. They didn't want to say that. So they, you know, we don't want to tell you that. And then he, he takes a child, like we've done this morning, and he puts the child amongst them, and he raises the child up. Now, now there's a, something very important about that, and I'll, I'll come to that in a minute. But this passage is all about greatness. It's all about greatness. It's about the disciples saying, we're the greatest, or who's the greatest, which one of us is the greatest. And then it's about Jesus saying, no, this is the way to greatness. This is what it means to be the greatest. And I think the passage says two things. Uh, the first thing I think it is, he says the path to greatness is knowing the servant king. And the second thing is that the path to greatness is through our own acts of service. Let me just explore number one for a few moments. The path to greatness is knowing the servant king. See, in this passage we see that Jesus takes the disciples away on his own and he teaches them. He teaches them again about his death. He, he talks to them about what it means to know him and understand him, what it means to be a follower of him. He t- teaches them so that they would see the world through his eyes. So they'd see it not through their own tinted glasses, not in the way that they want to see it to be, not, not serving them, but rather through God's eyes, serving God, a world that, that's described uh, in uh, the kingdom of God, a world as it should be. He says, I want you to see through God's eyes. I want you to love with God's heart. I want, I want you to, to, to look at people and see them as God would see them. And long before he gets to Jerusalem, he describes what's going to happen to him when he gets to Jerusalem. He says, look, I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be tried, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to be killed. And he says, I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it that you would know the riches of God in your own life. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, God's own son, with everything, nothing lacking in his life, yet he became poor, a child born, as we've just remembered at Christmas, become human for us. Though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. He came to sacrifice himself that we might know the riches of the kingdom of God. Mark 10, 45, I've said this so many times here, it's my, 
I don't know if one is allowed to have a favorite verse in Scripture. I don't know if that's allowed, but this is my favorite verse. For even the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what Jesus came to do. It's not at all about greatness. He came to serve, and he says, to serve, you've got to know, you've got to know me, the servant king. He says to the disciples, I'm not coming to be this political emperor that you think I might be. I'm not coming to rule and to reign in that way. I come as a servant. I come as a servant. And he says, your first, first step on the path to being a great disciple is by being a disciple of mine. And a disciple of mine is not about greatness. A disciple of mine is, is somebody who will give it all up for somebody else. Jesus is basically telling them that he gave up everything he had so that we could have. He's saying if you want to be great, then it's about knowing him, trusting him, living your life for him. His kingdom is not one that will bring riches and glory and honor here on earth. It's not a kingdom that will do that. But you will see people ultimately receive the riches of heaven and the life of the kingdom of God. I had the joy yesterday of meeting a guy who I led to the Lord many years ago. And um, uh, he came up to see me, and uh, we had this conversation. And I, do you know, it's, uh, it's just one of those moments you think, I know you, I know I know you, but I can't remember your name. You know those moments? And, and uh, you know, it's, it's really difficult. When you're a minister, it's really difficult because you meet so many people. And I'm thinking, I know, I know who you are, but I can't remember who you are. To that moment, you know, and he started his story, and I suddenly thought, yes, I do know who you are. And I remember his story so well, because he was away on business for six weeks. And in those six weeks, his partner, Claire, became a Christian. And they were living together, and she became a Christian. And when he came back away from business, she decided to move out of their double room into the spare room. And uh, he came home and said, what's been going on? And she said, well, I've been going to church and we're going to get our lives right. And he came to see me and my goodness me, he was cross. <laughs> and we had lots of conversations. And we met, I met him at lunch times during his work. And on the green in Richmond, one sunny lunchtime with a sandwich from Marks and Spencers, he gave his life to the Lord. He's now a senior director of a company. And he was saying to me, Mark, I've got a funny feeling God might be calling me into ministry. This is 10 years on. He's saying, but I'm worried about giving up all that I have to do the sort of thing you do. And I was able to say to him, it's the most marvelous thing in the world. You'll never be rich, but you'll always be satisfied. You'll never have everything, but you'll always have enough. There's something so terrific about saying, I put the Lord first in all things. I had the joy of taking their wedding here. Um, uh, shortly after he'd come back from his trip, they needed to get married very quickly. Um, the... the, the the path to greatness, the path to greatness is about knowing the servant king. The path to greatness is about knowing the Lord. That's what he's saying. 
To be a great disciple is to know me. It's to love me. It's to reflect me. And look at his ministry. His ministry was one that just stretched out to, to, to the broken. It, it wasn't one that looked for high acclaim. It wasn't one that sought the, the, uh, the, the adulation of others. In fact, he warns against that in uh, Luke chapter 12. The Pharisees, it says that there are thousands of people gathering and they're all gathering around the Pharisees and all sorts of stuff's going on. And Jesus says to the disciples, he says, he says look, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. Beware their hypocrisies as they live their lives. They live their lives for the, the cheers of the crowds around them. He says, you're not to do that. You're to live your life for the, the, to, to, for the audience of one. You're to live your life for the cheer of the king only. That, that he would look upon you, our, our Savior would look upon you and go, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, because you're, you're living your life not that others would cheer you on, you're living your life that Jesus would cheer you on. You're living your life to make a difference for the king and for his kingdom. So he says, the path to greatness begins by knowing the servant king, not some great political power, but knowing the servant king. And secondly, if that's true, it's hardly surprising, is it? The path to greatness is through service itself. So many people think that, you know, being great is about promoting oneself. It's about, it's about presenting in a certain way. It's about bringing your skills and, and influence to bear on society. And, and, and they're so true that we do raise people up who do that. We, 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 we praise them for what they do. But Jesus says that's not true greatness. He says the path to true greatness is actually through being a true follower of him and then through serving others. It's actually about putting other people first in all things. I, I think that's such a challenge in our lives, to put other people first, to think of their needs before our own. Jesus demonstrated it, didn't he, on the cross he says, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his, friend, for his friends, and, and I call you my friends. And then he laid down his life for us. He says, I will put you first in all things. He gave it up, all up for us. And he says, if you follow me, you've got to give it all up for somebody else. You've got to ensure that somebody else is promoted through your life. He says it again in Matthew 19. He says, if anyone will be first, then he has to be the last of all and servant of all. The thing about this is that you, it just doesn't sound right in our society. It sounds topsy-turvy. It's the opposite to what our society would teach. It's the opposite to so often what our family and friends might tell us. First is not the greatest, being last is. In fact, Jesus says it, the first should be last and the last should be first. He says the rich should be poor, and the poor are rich. So humbling when we were in Mozambique in November, just being out there with people who had nothing, they had nothing, and yet they gave everything. They brought out of their nothing, and they gave to us who had everything out of their nothing. They brought it out. We had to find ways of, uh, of giving it back so that it found its way back into that community because we didn't need it. And the leader we were with at the time, the pastor, um, we were at one place, we'd done a little thing and um, uh, done a little talk and a few little things. And, and then uh, uh, when they came and did presentations, you know, they, 
They presented us with chickens. They were such fun. Live chickens. You get those, you know, for the bennet. And then they presented a goat. And so you're holding this goat. It's a lovely goat. And, um, uh, and then they uh, came and they brought a basket up. And it had money in it. And the pastor we were with, he said, I've never seen that before in my life. Because these people haven't got any money. And it was a basket full of money. And we had to make sure that the money went back into the community. Because like, we didn't need it. They needed it more than we did. But, but what they wanted to do was they said, we want to give to you. And Jesus says, that's, that's greatness. Greatness is saying, with my life, I want to give to somebody else. With my life, I want to bless somebody else. With my life, I want to serve somebody else. And then he goes on to the disciples. They've been arguing along the road, who's the greatest? And Jesus just takes a child. A child. Now you have to understand that a child in those days had no standing in society. It's not like today. Today we look after children so well. We, we, you know, they have the highest priority and standing in society. We ensure their education and their health and everything else is well looked after. It's fantastic. That's the right way. But then they had no standing, no voice. They were a real nuisance, they thought. You know, especially if they were female. You know, we just want the males. There was a whole thing about that. And Jesus, in that context, he takes a child into their midst. And he, 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 says, it's, he, he, he says, anybody who welcomes a little child like this, on my behalf, welcomes me. And welcomes not only me, he says, but you welcome the Father who sent me. He's saying to his disciples, who are arguing about who is going to be the greatest, he says, the greatest is the person who will reach down the lowest. The greatest is the person who will find somebody to serve. The greatest is the person who will give to that person in need. The greatest is the person who will welcome somebody of no standing or no stature, who is seen of no value in society. The greatest is the person who will do the most for the least of the one of these. We never get past uh, Matthew 25. I think this is such a challenging little passage, but this is really what Jesus is teaching. And Matthew 25 says this. This is Jesus teaching. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will say, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or give you clothes, naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I'll tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the least of one of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I, I, I remember, um, I've forgotten his name now, but, um, Wallace, what's his name? Jim Wallace, that's it, Jim Wallace, Jim Wallace. I knew his name before, it just went. Does that happen sometimes, doesn't it? It's right there, and then it disappears. Went up the stairs yesterday, I thought, why did I come up here? I've got no idea. To go down again. By the time I got to the bottom, I remembered. I had to go back up again. I was just repeated to myself why I was going up there on the way back up there. 
Jim Wallace, Jim Wallace describing their ministry in Washington, D.C. to the homeless. And he described the woman who runs it, who's about 80 years old, he says, and she is a woman who has to be obeyed. And she starts the day in the same way every day, and she gathers her volunteer crew together, and she says these words to them. She says, team, somewhere in line today, you're going to be serving Jesus. Treat him well. Whatever you do for the least of one of these, you do for me. Whenever we stretch out a hand and help someone, we do it for Jesus. And he says, when we do that, we welcome in God's presence. That's amazing. In other words, if we want God present amongst us, then we're to serve one another. If we want God present in our lives, we're to find ways of serving other people. The two go hand in hand. If you want to welcome the presence of God, don't just get on your knees and pray. Roll up your sleeves and get stuck in. And the presence of God will be there. Be there amongst you. He says it, says it in the Bible. Jesus teaches it. The presence of God will come. There's a campaign being released this week. It's all the aid agencies are doing it and um, we're going to be uh, doing some stuff on that as a church together. It's called If. And the premise, basic premise of the campaign is this. There's enough world in the food for everyone, but not everyone has enough food. And it's asking some ifs. And it's while we've got, to, while David Cameron's got the chairmanship of the G8 uh, summit and is able to influence it in a certain way, if we can raise up the needs of the, the, the poorest, if we, can, if we can petition against corruption, if we can ensure that companies really are paying the taxes that they should be paying, if we can ensure that, that certain things are put into place, then maybe we could eradicate poverty. I don't know if we can fully eradicate it, but we can make a, sure make a big dent in it. And, and if, if Wilberforce could end slavery, what might we do if we work together to end poverty? It's an if. And you know, all, all it relies on it just relies on you and I saying, we're in. We'll be counted. We'll be included. And we'll find some way of serving those uh, who uh, need serving. So I guess the question for all of us from this is, are, are we serving? Have we found a place to serve? Are we putting others before ourselves? There's a great challenge there. I think it's about living a life of humility. Jesus did that. I, I don't know if you're on Twitter. Um, uh, I, I really enjoy Twitter, and a friend of mine tweeted this week, and um, I retweeted his tweet. If you're on Twitter, do, um, do uh, uh, there's a St. Paul's Twitter, and I've, I've, I'm on Twitter as well, but he, uh, he did a tweet, Miles Tulin his name is, and he did a tweet, and it said, uh, uh, humility is very shy. If you mention it too much, he runs away. I retweeted, I thought that's a lovely tweet he did. But actually Jesus, Jesus demonstrated humility. He says greatness, greatness is about getting down with your sleeves rolled up and getting your hands stuck in and making a difference in society. It's what Jesus demonstrated in his life and it's what he calls you and I to do. 
Friends, the kingdom, uh, in the kingdom of God, greatness is not achieved by the world's standards, but rather it's achieved by knowing Jesus and then reflecting him in a life of service. Greater love has no man than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus, like us, like he laid down his life, he asks us to lay down our lives and serve those most in need. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that quite challenging. And there may be a place in your workplace where this week you could serve somebody. Maybe you could take somebody a cup of tea. You know that person in the office who's been a real pain recently? Maybe you could just take them a nice cup of tea one day and say, this is for you. Just to love them a bit and see if that changes things. Maybe you could, maybe you could do something you don't normally do. Maybe... Maybe you could take out the rubbish or whatever it might be, but you could find a way of serving even in that context. Maybe you find a way of serving at home, doing something you don't normally do. Finding a way of, of blessing uh, your home. Linz and I were teaching once and, and uh, someone went back from one of our teaching and he'd never done any ironing in all his life. And he decided he was going to do the ironing while his wife was out that night. And she came home and she said, he, he said, I've done all the ironing. And she looked over and she said, but the ironing's still in the ironing basket. He said, no, I ironed everything in that bag. She said, that's the jumble sale basket, darling. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> that maybe you could find some way of serving those around you. Something you don't normally do that would say, I want to make life better for you this week. I want to do something that would bless you so that we could bless those around us. And, and by so doing, and by so doing, we welcome in the presence of God. Isn't that fantastic? Do you know, by serving one another in our homes, in our offices, in our schools, in our work, wherever we are, by serving one another... We invite God into that place. That's what we do. Wow. Service is powerful. So I, I want us to, I'm going to uh, uh, ask us now, we're going to be quiet for a few minutes. And I want you to imagine your friends and your family and your workplace or wherever it might be. There'll be an opportunity to respond in ministry later, but I want, I want you just in these few minutes to ask God to speak to you and just say, Lord, how might I serve this week? How in my place, my context, my life, might I this week, through the way in which I live, welcome the presence of God in to those that I'm in relationship with? Is that okay? So let's bow our heads quietly, shut our eyes, and just in this moment, ask the Lord to speak to us.